This is the last Sunday of a series called 21 Days of Prayer. Even though the prayer goes all the way through this week, uh, we're continuing all the way to Saturday. That's the end of our 21 days. And we've given you three opportunities to come uh, and pray and to gather and pray. And the first is to pray and fast. And that's a, just in case anybody here has been kind of intending uh, to do it, but you haven't signed up and you haven't done it yet, uh, go to the info.bar, pick a day, uh, sign up. Um, it will give you, it'll, it'll automatically email you some instructions on uh, just fasting and what that looks like if that's not something you've never done before. Uh, we want to challenge you to do that. Uh, we have prayer happening here at the church every morning. Had some great testimonies this past week of people that have gathered and our prayer team uh, that has kind of been growing out of this opportunity for people to come together and pray. And so uh, this morning, Laura led at 8 o'clock and uh, throughout the week, this next Monday through Friday, it'll be meeting at 6.30 here at the church if you want to come and be a part of that. Uh, next Saturday or this Saturday, however you Southerners say it, uh, this Saturday, right? I'm going to be leading the last one at nine o'clock on Saturday. And so I just invite you to come and be a part of that last prayer time together as a church. And we're, we're asking you to pray for specific things. And that's part of what the social media prompts, and you'll get another email today in terms of uh, the whole week um, of prompts for you in terms of what we want you to pray for, not just individually, uh, but hopefully spur you to pray uh, for the church, for God's church. And, um, as the series has continued on, we've really kind of been focusing on the beginning of the year and kind of that, that heart of the beginning of the year. Everybody wants to kind of be the new year, new you, new decade kind of thing. And um, I, I posed a question the first week and said, what if, what if you didn't spend any time this year trying to fix the old you, rather you began to live in and pray out of the new you that already exists uh, in Christ. And so we've been saying that, that you are a new creation, a new person uh, through Jesus. And so last week we ended, or for the first week we ended with this passage from Romans, and last week we started with it to kind of kick us off in terms of what are some of the steps we take. Uh, but I want to read that this morning kind of as a review. This is in Romans 12.1. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he has, has done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice the kind you will find acceptable, this is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a what? Read the words out loud. Into a new person. Let him transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. It says, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. And for the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think more high, or think of yourself more highly than you ought. And that's how we kind of started last week in terms of how we compare ourselves. And he says, I'd rather you think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with your faith, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each one of you. We said last week, it's not, it's not like we're supposed to be comparing ourselves to other believers, but we're supposed to be challenged to consider the faith that we claim, the things we say, and how do we live according to that? Because as disciples, we wanted last week to distinguish, like the disciple really does mean follower, okay? Not a believer, okay? Disciples don't mean believers, okay? Jesus even said, look, even the, even the demons uh, uh, obey and believe me. You know, that's that, like even they believe and know who God is. It's not enough to believe, you got to be a follower. That's what it means to be a disciple. And in order to do that, you even heard Joanne sh share in her testimony this morning that following requires you to take steps. That's logical, and it's also this, the way we, we work spiritually. It requires you to take steps. We gave you all sorts of examples last week of just steps you can take 
in your faith. And today I want to give a little bit further uh, instruction on that in terms of just what it looks like for our personal uh, destinies and our personal uh, missions in life and and what is God really calling us to do. But in order to do that, I want to start off with a quick example. And I've kind of been perusing the room to kind of figure out who I can um, sort of match up here. I think, Ed, would you help me out with a, a quick illustration? Come on up, Ed. And Steve, would you help me out? Yeah, come on up, Steve. I think this is good. This is a good matchup right here. Now, you guys can stay down there. Here's what I'm going to have you do. You, uh, Ed, you stay on this aisle right here, okay? Steve, you stay there on that aisle. And just to help everybody with an illustration, this is what we're going to do. Uh, turn around, face that way. I want you to just take um, a leisurely stroll to the back of the room and then come back. All right, so leisurely stroll, not mall walking, you know, just a leisurely, there you go, that nice leisurely stroll. Yep, like the catwalk. You guys are doing great. Turn around and come on back. There you go. High five. Turn around and come on back. That's good. That's good. All right. If you guys will go back to your, to your positions, here's what I want you to do next, just again for the illustration. And now this is going to be a little bit uh, more for you. I want you to, now you have to pay attention to the back. I want you, when I say go, I want you to sprint and run as fast as you possibly can to the back wall. Now don't hit the beam or the communion station. And if you fall and hurt yourself, do not sue the church. All right, so here's what I want you to do. Now, there's a prize involved here. I just want you to hear this, okay? There's a prize for this. The first one to slap that back wall that I can, that I can see, really hope it's not close. Okay, the first one to slap the back wall, um, you're going to win a dinner for two to uh, Outback or Bonefish, I think, or uh, Carabas. All right, so that's a dinner for two, and uh, that's going to be the prize, okay? So I want you guys to know that. All right, uh, you guys need to limber up or anything at all? Okay, all right. I'm going to say on your market set, go. You're going to go on go. You guys ready? Somebody help me watch the back walls. You guys ready? Okay. On your mark, get set, go. Oh, my. Ed, I missed you. Where'd you go? I heard you, but I missed you. I think he won. Let's give Ed a hand. Uh, come on up, Steve. Come on up here. Steve, you, get, you still get some. You get something for Chick-fil-A. That's silver. That's right there for you. All right, there you go. And Ed, you and she need to get to enjoy a nice dinner out. How about that? Yeah, Shanita, that's right. There you go. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it, guys. Thank you very much. No more gift cards. That's all we got. All right. I want to read this for you. This is from Hebrews. This is after the writer of Hebrews tells us about the great line of faith that we fall in, in terms of the, the, the historical figures of the Old Testament, especially for the, the, the new church and the New Testament. This is the great line of faith. And he starts off 12 by saying, therefore, because of all of these folks and their faith in God, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And he goes on to say, let's run with endurance the race God has set before us. We're going to run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The writer of Hebrews uses this language, and I think it's no coincidence that uh, Paul, you're going to see a lot of his letters using a very similar uh, visual, if you will, an illustration of what our life of faith is supposed to look like. And that's a race. 
our life of faith, living the way God's called us to live, doing what he's called us to do, experiencing what he wants us, every one of us to experience, looks more like a race than anything else. And I think sometimes when I look around the world and I think about the places in the world where the church of God, the people of God, at one time had great influence, but that influence continues to slip away, especially in the Western church. I think a big reason is because people don't really look at Christians and see us running. At best, I think most people might be doing a a stroll or leisurely walk in their faith. And there's a great, great number of people that are really just bystanders to a life of faith that are standing still and watching others do the work and run the race for him. And that's not what he's called us to individually. It's not what our destinies look like. That's not the purpose of what he has gifted us. As we talked about last week, he gifted us on purpose, for purpose, to take those steps and to be a follower of Jesus. It looks more like a race than anything else. But really, most people aren't running. And I think the primary reason is fear. Now, you might have some other things in your mind that you say, well, I think this is more like this and this and that with culture and the, the world and everything else, and I understand, but a lot of those things are still come back to a root, a root of fear, that we're not running uh, and we've done some, a bunch of series on fear, and as a church, we've talked about this a lot, so I don't want to belabor this this morning, but I do want to read this a great quote from FDR. It's in his first inaugural address, and many of you will know this quote. You'll know part of this quote um, that you've heard before. FDR said, let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is, say it out loud, fear itself. But he goes on to say, nameless, unreasoning unjustified fear, which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. He goes on to say, you know, the only thing to fear is fear itself, but he names it. He says, it's a nameless, unjustified, unreasoning fear that keeps us from moving forward, that keeps us from doing what God has maybe called us to do. Here's just a reminder of some of the things I think fear does in, in light of this. I think fear hinders our action, right? It hinders our action. It, it, you know, if we're too afraid to take risks, we're too afraid to fail, we won't take the steps that maybe God wants us to take. You know, if we're too afraid of falling, which apparently Ed wasn't, okay, if you're too afraid of falling, sometimes you won't give it your all and run. It hinders The steps, like we talked about last week, it will hinder the steps that God is calling us to take. It mutes passion. Fear mutes passion, and here's why. Because if someone doesn't love something as much as we love something, if someone doesn't get as excited about what we get as excited about, fear of that rejection, because we take that as rejection, fear of that that rejection kind of mutes our passion. It kind of quiets us down. Fear kills innovation. I believe God has put an innovative, creative spirit in every single one of his people to think differently, to do things differently, to think outside the box, to be innovative. But fear of failure, again, you might have heard people say they get to a certain point in their life and, and they make a statement like, well, we can't afford to fail. You ever hear that? Nod your head. We can't afford to fail. Well, they forgot how they got there. They got there by risking and failing because failing is just a part 
of innovation. And fear undermines faith. Why? Because faith is confidence in what's unseen and assurance of what we don't know yet. And yet when the uncertainty and the unclarity of life kind of consumes our mind, we will not put our faith and trust in God. We will put our faith and trust unintentionally in, in what we fear. And fear keeps us from running the race he's called us to run. Now, the Bible has always had a very simple solution to fear. And it says, do not fear. That's the Bible's simple solution to fear. It says it all sorts of different ways. Fear not, feareth not, O little ones, or something, you know. Do not fear, don't be afraid, for I am here. There's, I mean, every time you run into this in Scripture, the Old Testament and the New, the simple answer that Scripture gives us to fear is don't be afraid. Do not fear, which for us is to be fearless. And we don't like that word sometimes because we assume fearless means reckless. But really, the, the real definition of don't be afraid or do not fear is being fearless. And I believe, that's what the, I believe that's the mark of what I think God wants for his people. When it comes to even running this race, there's no way to do it the way God's called us to do it if we're doing it in fear. We're going to be bystanders of the race that we've been called to, or we're going to be leisurely strolling along. We're not going to be running so the bottom line for today, we're going to read it together just so we can have an opportunity. Hopefully, you'll, you'll chew on this this week. You don't have to agree with me this morning, but I want you to chew on this this week and, and be thinking about how this applies to your life. And let's read it out loud together. Fearless people run with direction, confidence, and purpose. One more time. Let's read it together. Fearless people run with direction, confidence, and purpose. To be marked by that fearlessness allows us to run our race, but, but to run, sometimes we get that, even that a little bit confused in terms of what running the race of faith really is supposed to look like. And I believe these three things are just core. There's always, there's direction, there's confidence, and there's always purpose. There's always a why, right? There's always supposed to be a prize and a why we're running the race God's called us to run. Let's start with direction. Fearless people run with direction. I gave, uh, you know, Steve and Ed some very clear directions. This, this particular race only had a straight line to it, right? This is a, but it's a clear direction. It's a clear understanding of where you're headed. And everyone needs direction if you're going to run. But I want you to know this. This is just specifically because it's January, because it's the new year, because of the year, the month of resolutions, I want you to understand this, the direction, not intention, okay? Direction, not intention. Where's my, there it is, there it is. Direction, not intention determines your destination, all right? If you want to get somewhere, direction is the most important thing, not what you intend to do. And this, this I don't know when it happened in our culture, but for some reason, we in our culture, I don't know if when it, again, historically started, but we believe that if we intended to do something, we should get gold stars and credit for that, right? We should do that. But even though it didn't actually do anything, it, you know, direction, where you're headed is what gets you to where you want to go, not what you intended to do. It doesn't get you where you want to go. I get this sometimes with my mom, 
okay? Uh, I talk to my mom on the phone, you know, two or three times a year. My mom's a person of very few words on the phone, believe it or not, she is my mother, and uh, she can talk your ear off if you're face-to-face, but on the phone, she just doesn't, she doesn't really like to talk on the phone that much, and so I'll, I'll just call her every once in a while, and when I call her, there's always this thing in me that sort of says, you know, we'll, we'll talk, and I'm like, yeah, I meant to call, you know, earlier, I meant to call last month, I meant to call whenever, and my mom's very gracious and just like, oh, honey, it's fine, it's, it's good. And yet, the truth of the matter is, is I usually say that, and it's probably true. There are times where I think about calling and I don't call. But I want credit for the fact that I intended to call. Everybody nod your head if you're with me, right? I want credit for I intended, but yet it made no difference. And that's why a lot of people don't see these resolutions, these New Year resolutions happen because we intend a whole lot. I know some of the things that I intend to do this year haven't started yet, right? I mean, I intended to do, you know, January 1st out of the gate, but the direction wasn't there. And the intention doesn't do anything. And that's why I want to make sure we know this. Listen, direction is the most important thing in terms of running this race. You have to have direction. Not intention, but actual following steps, direction. But even in direction, we struggle. Even with direction, we have attention we have to manage. And here's how it's said in Proverbs. This is, um, this is the wisdom of Solomon. In their hearts, men plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Solomon is giving the wisdom to help you understand that there are two things usually at work, and there's a little bit of a tension there. Because in their hearts, men want to plan the course. We want to we plan the way it's going to work out, but God is the one who actually establishes our steps. He's the one who actually in charge of each step. And the way this works for us, and I'll again, you know, if we take it all the way, if we take this illustration all the way to the end, it's, they work together to some degree, and that's the way um, Solomon is saying they do sometimes work together, but we have to know which one we're really leaning into because it's a tension we have to know. We can either be really thinking of that God's going to give us a map or God's going to give us a compass. And which one are we leaning into for direction? Now, I'll be honest. Most of us are map people, okay? We're map people. You know, it, it, we, we want to know anywhere you're going, when you think about the destination, you know, everybody wants the details. Okay, what's the fastest way to get there? That's for most men, right? What's the fastest way to get there? How long is it going to take? Is there going to need to be any other stops on the way? You know, are, is, there, is, there some, is there a road that's broke down? Is there something we're going to, a bypass, a detour? Is there anything that we need to do in order to get to where we want to go? Because we're map people. And if it's unclear how we're supposed to get somewhere, we struggle to go because we trust the map. Versus the compass, and this is, again, this is just the way I read Scripture, the compass tends to be what God provides for us. Very rarely does he give us the details of anything in terms of our destination. He gives us a compass, which is his Holy Spirit. No matter of fact, Paul says in Galatians that we're supposed to be walking in step with the Spirit in our lives. That's, that's not just following the Spirit, that's being in step. The Lord establishes those steps for us to run our race. But the, but the compass is what we're given. The direction, the arrow is all we are usually given to get us where we believe God is taking us to go. The reason I think that God doesn't give us maps and details and steps 
is because we all want to get to step five. But if he told you what step four looked like, you might not go. Everybody with me? If he told you what step three looked like, you may never get off of step one. Which is why he doesn't give us a map. He doesn't give us details like we're running an errand. He gives us a compass. He gives us direction. He gives us a step-by-step, establishing our steps, direction on where we need to be headed. Hebrews says we do it with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the compass, led by the Holy Spirit, to run with direction. But there's something interesting about a compass, especially when it comes to God and the way we use the word Holy Spirit and those kind of promptings is you and I have to make sure, we have to make sure that our compass, that we calibrate our compass with God's truth, God's word, and not your emotions and not your past experiences. Okay? We have to calibrate. The different, you know, I can go into the whole explanation of magnetic north and true north and the declination that happens depending on where you are in the world. I did this for our Kenya trip. This is, this is very important, but the reality is, is that when it comes to our lives, we just have to make sure that our compass is not being, you know, the arrow in our compass is not being kind of strayed away from where it's supposed to be going because we've calibrated God's voice through our past experiences and through how we feel about things. We'll take, sometimes we'll take a direction because we've had past experiences that have hurt us or that haven't worked out. And so we'll, we'll hear God tell us to go this way, but we'll go a little bit more this way because we don't want to experience the same thing. We're fearful of that. Or quite frankly, our feelings just get in the way. Not picking on anybody here, okay? I've said these words myself. When I don't want to do something, I'm a pastor, I can spiritualize everything, right? When I don't want to do something, it's very easy for me to say, to have a feeling I'm supposed to do something and then look at someone and say, yeah, I just haven't gotten a peace from God about that yet. Everybody with me? I just haven't gotten a piece from God about that. I really haven't heard clearly yet God tell me to do that. Oh, yeah, I heard clearly. I just don't want to do it, right? So I calibrate that direction through my feelings. We have to make sure that our arrow, our direction, if we're going to be fearless and run with direction that God gives us through his spirit, we have to make sure that it is not running through a filter of your feelings, how you feel about something, or even through your past experiences. Matter of fact, again, Solomon says it this way. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What's those three words? Do not depend, right? Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Again, he will help you run the race he wants you to run. You can't trust your feelings. You can't, you can't let it be filtered by you. You've got to trust what the Spirit is saying. Because fearless people run with direction. The second thing is confidence. We run with direction and confidence. Confidence comes in terms of the word, what we're trusting in, what our hope is in. What our faith, really in terms of the word faith, what our faith is in. I love this passage from Jeremiah that talks about the dynamic of where our confidence lies. This is what the Lord says. Cursed are the ones who put their trust in man, who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. 
That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. Think of a tumbleweed, right? They will not see prosperity. They won't get to experience all God wants them to experience when it comes. They will dwell in parched places in the desert and in salt lands where no one lives. But it says, blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord there. What's those two words? Hope and, yeah, they've made the Lord their hope and their confidence. And the picture he gives us is this. They're like trees planted along the riverbanks whose roots reach deep into the water. No, there's no fear. These trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green. And they never stop producing fruit. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. Again, going back to what Solomon said, you know, you cannot trust your own understanding. Jeremiah's like, the heart, who knows the heart, right? It's desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Well, there's one who does. The Lord will search all hearts and examine secret motives and give all people their due rewards according to what their, what's the word? Actions deserve. Not their intentions, but their actions, the steps. See, God knows the heart and he knows the motive and he knows what you've actually put your confidence in. And sometimes you will see people running. Okay, I'm just want you to say, you will see people running and it certainly does look like they are running in faith, in confidence until something happens in their life. And then you will see what their confidence and their faith and their hope was actually in. Jesus gives the clear example of, look, there's two guys who built their house, their houses, and one built it on the sand and one went all the way down to the bedrock. And the houses may have even looked exactly the same, but it wasn't until the storm came, it wasn't until the winds blew, it wasn't until the trials came that took one of the house, and as my kids learned it, the house went splat that was on the sand, yet the one on the rock stood firm. Guys, confidence is simply just trust. It's just trust. And there's far too many Christians, I just want you to hear this, there's far too many of us who say that we have confidence and trust and faith in God, but we do not run and we do not live our lives in such a way that our confidence is really coming from the fact that we trust completely that God's got this, that he's in control that he's got a plan, that he is giving you the direction and you are full on sprinting exactly where he's called you to go. And you trust that regardless of what happens, regardless of what step two is, step three or step five, that you trust him. Far too many of us wear the Jesus bumper sticker and yet our trust is in our money. And our trust is in our job security. And our trust is in our family. And our trust is in our own strength. And our trust is in our own emotional uh, stability. Our trust is in our own intellect. And no one will really know. No one around you will know until the storm comes. You want to run? You've got to be fearless. And fearless people run with direction and confidence in him. The third is purpose, and purpose is simple because there's always a why. 
There's always a why, no matter what the details look like in your life, your destiny, your calling, no matter what it is, compare yours compared to mine, it's all different. God's gifted us differently to be used differently. He's got everybody in different uh, social, economical spheres. Like we're all going to have a little bit of difference in terms of how this plays out, but there's always a why. There's always a purpose to why we're running. Here's how Paul says it again, Paul using this language over and over again as a visual for us. Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. He goes on, this is basically Paul's way of saying, I don't want you to think that I've achieved anything. I don't want you to think that I'm holier than you are. I don't want you to think that I've got this figured out and you don't. Like he's not trying to cause division. He's not trying to separate himself. He's just saying, I follow Christ and I want you to follow me as I follow Christ. He says, no, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Just like the writer of Hebrews. I I, I untangle myself from everything that will slow me down. Paul says, I got to focus myself because I don't want to calibrate my compass to my past or my feelings. I got to get, I got to shed those things. You know, I got to shake those off. Taylor Swift was right. Everybody with me? Okay, that's that's true. I got to shake those things off in order to run the race he's called me to. Because there's a purpose in this. There's a prize to be won. But later, early on, or sorry, later in 1 Corinthians, he actually says this to the letter of them. He says, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All my competitive people say amen. Right? That's your verse for the year. Let me just tell you that right now. Run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. Paul says there's a purpose to the reason I'm running. There's a purpose to every step that I take. I am running to win a race and to receive the prize, the why I do what I'm doing. What is that purpose? Well, I'll just share it with you in a simple way in terms of the lens of our church. We as a church have a purpose in everything we do, and it's the vision and mission of our church, no matter what it is. The vision of our church is that we are transformed people, and we want to see our friends' lives changed by the absolute hope of Jesus. No matter what is going on, that's what we want to see happen. That's our purpose Okay, So it doesn't matter if you're parking cars or meeting people in the lobby. We had two people baptized this morning that just shared all the different things and all the ways in which, you know, from growth track to financial peace to small groups to to the services to to everything, every single thing that touched them and the kids' street and what they're doing with their kids, like all of these things are, are, are changing their lives. They took a step in baptism this morning changing their lives by the absolute hope of Jesus. How do we do that? We do that the only way we believe Scripture's called us to. We do that by humbly pointing everyone to that absolute hope. That's how we do it. So if you ever want to know what, G- what journey is doing, we have a purpose. We have intention. We, we run with purpose in every step. 
to see those lives change, to see your lives continue to be changed by absolute hope. And we want to do that in a humble way. We want to humbly point people to him. Here's how Paul said it. We, he said, I ran with purpose in every step. But earlier, just prior to those verses, he actually revealed how he does it and what he's doing. He said, even though I'm free with no, a free man with no master, I've become a slave to all people. Why? I want you to read it out loud with me. To bring many to Christ. One more time. Read those words. To bring many to Christ. Yeah, I'm, I'm a free man with no master, but I've become the slave to all people for a reason. Keeps going. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who followed Jewish law, I too lived under Jewish law. He said, even though I am not subject to the law, I did this so I could, read it out loud, bring to Christ those who are under the law. There's a reason. When I was with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too lived apart from the law so that I can... Oh, we're getting really quiet now. You know, you're seeing the theme here. Let's read it aloud, real loud. Bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law. I obey the law of Christ. He's like, this is, I'm not just a, I'm not going crazy. He goes on and he says, when I'm with those who are weak, I share in their weakness for I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with who? Everyone. Doing what? Everything so that I can save some. Keep going. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. This is the why. Okay, we talked about the steps to take and we broke it out as best we could. And, 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 and today, really, I just want you to know, I don't know what your life is going to look like. I don't know the twists. I don't know the turns. I don't know the details of how you're gifted and how, you're, how he's give you passion. I don't, I don't know any of those things. And I'll be honest with you, I don't care. I just want to see you run. I want to see you know why you're doing everything that you're doing. And is it for your name or is it for his name? Right? Is it for your purposes or is it for his purposes? Because you can run in your own strength for a while for your purposes. When you think about what he's called us to do, when he's called you and I to, to live in this life without fear, that we're to be those fearless people who run with a direction, a direction that's step in step with the Spirit of God, that we run with confidence, not in ourselves, but in him, we really trust him in all things. And we know why we're doing it. So whether it's at work, whether it's at school, whether it's your kids' friends, whether it's your neighbors, whether it's the circles you meet in, whether it's strangers on the street, whether it's here locally and the strangers you meet, or whether it's around the world, we do it all for a purpose. Everything everyone so that we can save some. We don't know who's going to reject the gospel. We have no idea who's going to reject our, 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 our own testimonies. We have no idea who's going, to, who's going to shut us down or reject us. We don't know, but it doesn't matter because the purpose is still the same, to bring them to Christ. We've been given the task of reconciliation. 
We've been given the task to bring people back to God. We have a destiny. Each one of you really does have a, have a God-breathed destiny in your life. But it's all going to have the same purpose. The details might be different. The purpose and the why is the same. So my, my heart for this church, my heart for you is this year, this year, this decade, you started off this way. I don't know whether you're a, you've been, you could honestly say that you're already running or whether you're one of the leisurely walkers or whether you feel like you're barely crawling or if you're really honest with yourself, you're, you're sort of just a bystander to the life of faith going on around you. My prayer for you, my heart as, as a pastor of this church is to see you run to be fearless. As this week, as you pray what it looks like to partner on mission with God and with this church, that you be fearless and that you understand the direction and the confidence and the purpose by which you are called to run your race. Hebrews says, and therefore, in light of all of the, this cloud of witnesses, we want to strip off everything that would tangle us. We want to run the race God set before us. And we do this by fixing our eyes on Jesus because he's the author and he's the perfecter of our faith. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you. We have no one else to trust in this morning to run the race you've called us to except you. God, I will confess that I spent many, many years running my race, trying to chart my course, trying to figure out how to um, accomplish it all with my strength for the, the only reason was me. And yet, God, you continue to, to convict me. You continue to break me. You continue to, to move me in a place in my life that I, I just trust in you, that I want to run, God. I don't want to walk. I don't want to crawl. I want to run in the directions you've pointed me in for the purpose you've called me to do that. And with confidence and trust that regardless of what's, what's in store for me, regardless of what's in store for my family, regardless of what's in store for this church, that I'm going to trust you. My confidence is going to be in you. God, I pray that for every single person here, every person that's at home with the flu, every person that's tuning in um, you know, years from now to this message, God, that you would challenge us and by your spirit and by your spirit alone, you would just empower us to just take that first step and begin to run the race you've called us to. In your name, Jesus. Amen.